So this is an unusual narrative today in Acts 17. So I want to encourage you to um, get your books out and turn to the map on page 252. I think it would be very helpful to follow along on this journey to get an idea of what we're talking about. And the reason is this. We, are, we live in a, a, a time where we're just overstimulated. As a matter of fact, the Barnum and Bailey Circus retired... Oh, gee, I went there for my 60th birthday, so four years, five years ago. Um, and it was the last time they were going around. It was so sad that the circus quit. And their reason was they couldn't, they couldn't sell tickets anymore. Kids were not, they were overstimulated with video games, seeing giraffes and different acts like that. They didn't care anymore about any of that. It had, it had, it just, I mean, it was sad. So I bought myself a Dumbo elephant as a souvenir, um, but but it, we are because we are so overstimulated, we just can't read words on a page, and um, we have to make them come alive in a way. Another example of how we're overstimulated, or not just overstimulated, but we've um, we've minimized a lot of things too because we've been exposed to a lot of things. Kids that do these violent video games, they think nothing of going out and murdering because it's, there's just the lines are blurred. I had a 20-something-year-old young woman come into my office about a year ago and she's like, I have PTSD. I'm like, oh, well, tell me about it. Well, how, what happened? My boyfriend broke up with me. So I'm like, okay, she didn't have PTSD. But she really thought about it, and I listened to her, and I said, well, I have good news for you. You do not have PTSD. We're not, you're not, you don't have that. And it was almost like she was disappointed that she didn't have it. So that we're just, it's, so for all those reasons, I want to be able to look at the map and go through that with us, because it is an, truly an incredible journey. It really is. God told Paul that he would be his witness in Rome. God told Paul he would be his witness in Rome. Therefore, if God told Paul he was going to be his witness in Rome, Paul is going to be his witness in Rome. And Paul believed God. I said Paul believed God. I did not say Paul believed in God. Paul believed God. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there today that we don't believe God. Okay? So looking at... This incredible journey that's going to start up in chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, there's Luke talking again, we delivered Paul and some other prisoners. And this, I have to tell you, this is going to be a tongue twister for me, some of these names, but you know me by now. I do the best I can with them, right? Um, They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a satyrian of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of... Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sail, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day we put out at Sidon, and Julius treated him kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. 
So here we've got, they're on the, they're going to head out to Rome. And they are on a merchant ship that's filled with grain that goes from Egypt to Rome. It's a sturdy freight ship. It is designed for hanging close to the to the coastline. It's about 140 feet long and 36 feet wide. It has no rudder. It's got two paddles on the back, right? And it's got a little skiff that follows along behind it too. And, and like one basic sail, it doesn't have a whole bunch of rigging and everything. It is not designed to cross over long stretches of sea. It's designed to stay close to the coastline for the protection of the, of the land, um, it was unable, basically, to sail into wind. This ship was unable to sail into wind. So these little ships just kind of went along the coastline. They preferred to stay very close to shore. So who's on this ship with Paul? Julius is a Roman soldier who's been um, assigned to transport these criminals. Now, Paul wasn't condemned yet. He was, he was a, still in, you know... A free man. He was, well, he's a prisoner, but he wasn't condemned yet. Um, so he was just awaiting his trial. Julius, following Paul or getting to know Paul or for whatever reason, got a relationship with Paul and realized that he could, he really liked Paul and he could trust Paul. He saw Paul was a man of integrity because Julius was a man of integrity too. So he's on the ship with them. And Luke is with them, and Aristarchus is with them. Now, do you remember we've met Aristarchus before a couple different times? We met him in, nine, in chapter 19, verse 29, where he was seized by the angry rioters at Ephesus. We see him again in chapter 20, verse 4, um, where he went with Paul uh, back to Jerusalem to bring the uh, the offering, the monetary offering that was collected from the Gentile churches. He was part of that. And then in Colossians 4.10, we see that he is imprisoned with Paul. And then in Philemon 24, Paul mentions him as his fellow worker. So he is right up there with Luke as a very close friend of Paul. They have decided, these two men, to take this voyage with Paul. And they know it's going to be a dangerous voyage just because of the time of year that it is. But it was kind of, it wasn't, you know, they didn't have, you know, first-class cabins. But Paul was able to have, bring his friends. He was able also to, when they got to Sidon, he was able to get off and see some of the local Christians there. They ministered to Paul. So, you know, it was one of those deals on this ship. All right, so we're heading out in verse 4. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. So you're looking at your, your map there, and you can see that they're kind of hovering along there. Because the winds were against us. Now, what did I just say about this little ship? It can't go into the, it can't go into the wind. And we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found another ship. So the one that they were on only went so far, they had to get off and change planes, right? We change planes. They're changing ships. Um, And so they get off and they get another ship. 
um, of Alexandria, and they're sailing for Italy. Again, they're on their way to Rome, and they, he put us on board. And we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmanon, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven, near which was the city of Lycia. Okay, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Are they hanging along the coastline? They should have been able to hang along the coastline and kind of continue up and go up. But what started to happen? Strong winds were coming, and they're blowing this ship out to sea. They were sailing slowly because the winds were so strong. Now, in Nida, that was another harbor, sh- uh, a harbor for merchant ships, and, and they, they get there. But the wind is very, very strong, and it did not permit them to go west. It starts pushing them south, okay? And remember, there were no motorboats here. It was two paddles in the back that they had. They didn't have a rudder, just had two paddles in the back. 270 whatever people on this thing with a bunch of grain. So there they are. And it's a bad time of year. Why was it a bad time of year? Um, it's a bad time of year because they were supposed to... Sailing gets really, really rough in, in that time of year. And a lot of sailors don't put out to sea. But they decided to go and they're going along. And it was forced to, the ship was forced to go south Difficulty, difficulty. And it rounded the little corner of Crete down there. It rounded the southeast corner of the island. You see down there? And you see Fair Haven at the bottom of it? It's not printed really well. But look what's out there. You've got the whole Mediterranean Sea out there blowing in on them, right? It wasn't a safe place to be. Okay. They were weary. They were just tired. Um, and they weren't looking forward to what was lying ahead of them, a long stretch of sea. So they stayed there, they delayed there for some time in Fair Haven, waiting for the winds to change. Waiting for the winds to change. It was late in the season, um, and it says in verse 9, so much time had passed as they were waiting, and the voyage was now dangerous. They stayed there kind of past the time that it was safe to sail because of the weather, time of year. Because even the fast was already over. And Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I have perceived that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. So, Paul was talking from experience, but he was just a missionary kind of prisoner guy there, right? He had sailed about 35,000 miles. He'd been in a his own fair share of shipwrecks, and he was urging them to please stay here and winter in Fair Haven, which was not correctly named. I think the, you know, Chamber of Commerce came up with this name or something. It was not a safe place to be there. It was very vulnerable to all the winter storms that was coming in there. It was late in the year, and when he says the fast was over, I remember when I answered this, I thought, were they, were they fasting because they were? No, they weren't fasting because of that. The fast was over 
The Day of Atonement for this year, A.D. 59, was October 5th. Saline begins to get very dangerous mid-September to mid-November. You don't want to sail between the middle of September and the middle of November. Okay? Day of fasting, Day of Atonement, October 5th, that was over. They were in the depths of this bad time of year to be sailing in this part of the sea. And Paul's trying to say, let's just hang out here in Fairhaven. Well, that's not a very good place to hang out either. But Paul warns them that there's going to be great loss if you carry on. But we know, verse 11, the centurion, Julius, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. That makes sense to me, doesn't it? I mean, who's Paul? Paul's this prisoner, right? Pilot of the ship, you know, and the owner of it, um, you know, they've got this cargo that they have to, they're going to sell when they get up there to Rome from Egypt, this grain. They got a lot to lose if they don't get it there on time and to hang out there in the harbor, they might be there a while. So they decide that they're going to go on. And because the harbor was not suitable to send the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance You notice that? On the chance that somehow (laughs) they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Okay, so find out where that is. Go along the bottom of Crete there. Go along the court. And just up around the corner, you have the harbor of Phoenix, which was safer. There, you're, you're not being bombarded from <clears throat> all different directions of the wind. You're not, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's not as vulnerable as the of Fairhaven was. And they thought they were going to take a chance somehow. <laughs> Do you get the idea of what the mindset now is? Now, these are professional sailors, and they're making a decision on what to do here. They weren't for sure if they could get and do it. They weren't for sure how they were going to do that. But Paul had confidence that God would get him to Rome. He had confidence. These people had no confidence in nothing. Nothing. Whether unpredictable, all the signs said you shouldn't be out here, you shouldn't be doing this. And they were just almost blindly saying, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, let's go. They didn't have faith in anything, you know. Somehow, somehow it'll, it'll happen. Wishful thinking on their part, wasn't it? Normally, it would have taken them about, it's about 40 miles there to Phoenix, and a couple of hours they were hoping to get there. Um, even when we make bad decisions... God still takes care of us. It's not like God's will is this narrow, I got to stay in God's will, I got to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. He gives me these revelations, whatever I need to do this, and if I don't, boom, my name's erased from the book of life. It doesn't work that way. God takes care of us, okay? Paul believed that believed God and God would care for him and bring him to Rome. And because of that, he had peace about the whole thing. He she gave his advice on what, you know, some good advice on what they should do. Um, 
It's going to take care of them, but there's going to be consequences with this. Had they stayed in Fair Haven, they probably wouldn't have lost the ship or the cargo. They didn't lose any lives, but they lost the ship and the cargo by going. Okay, so they go out. The storm gets worse. Stormy, stormy journey from Fair Havens to Malta. So verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, calmed down a little bit, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Okay? So far, so good. They're hanging in close to the shore, right? This is where this ship is supposed to sail. Those of us who come from California, we have something called the Santa Ana winds out there. Santa Ana winds are not good. Santa Ana winds are when they start blowing down. I don't know what all it is, but it's terrible and always comes during fire weather. Because if you don't know it, California, Southern California is always in a drought. <clears throat> and the Santa Ana winds will come down and just flame fires all the time. So... <clears throat> Lo and behold, we've got our own Santa Ana winds here. Soon, in verse 14, a tempestuous wind called this Northeasterner. Now, some of your Bibles, your translations might have the name um, Yoraquillo. Yoraquillo. Did you get that in some of your translations? That's the name. They named this Northwesterner called the East Wind, and it was not a good thing. It roared down the mountains on Crete. That little island, Crete, had mountains on it, and this wind roared down. And if you look at your map, you can see if it's roaring down, what's it going to do with that little ship? It's going to push it south. Okay? So... It struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. What are we going to do? We gave way. Okay, let's just ride it out. Now, notice also in your mind, they're not just standing on the thing, and it's just kind of drifting them along. This is a horrible wind. There's white caps happening. There's things that they're throwing around. You can't, you can't walk from one thing to the other thing, okay? I mean, it's just all over the place, okay? It's just, bam, you know, um, it's, it, it got bad in there. It was a horrible storm happening. And you have to keep that in mind, what they're going on. I mean, just to all time and up and down. I mean, these people were thrown around. We find out what they're throwing around for two weeks. So they gave way, and, and we were driven along, running under the lee of the small island called Kuda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. All right. How did they secure the ship? They, in this little brief thing, they had all hands were on deck, because Paul says we. They had... Dr. Luke helping out too. And they secured the little skiff, the little boat that was on the back. When it gets really bad, they, they, they hoist it up and they put it on the, back of the, uh, the stern of the boat. And they stick it up on the back of the boat back there. And they t- take these cables or these ropes and they put it under the hull. I don't know how they do it. I guess along each side if this was the boat along each side and they drop it and they pull it down and they pull it up and they wench it real tight. So you've got like this, it's encased in this 
rubber bands around this boat to hold it. Now, that doesn't sound too encouraging, does it? we got to do this to have the boat stick together. So this is what they're doing, and they're doing this, and the weather is not good. Calm down a little bit. Um, And after verse 17, and after hoisting it up, getting the skiff up on the back, they used supports to undergird the ship, then fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear and they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw off the ship's tackle overboard and their own hands. Okay, a couple things going on in here, major, all right? They got the wraps around the ship, okay? They undergirded it, but there is an area out here in this Mediterranean tree that is known as Sirtis, which is the dreaded graveyard of ships. They didn't know how far away they were from this. They didn't know really if they were going to hit it or not, but they had fear that they would run aground there, and that was almost spelled disaster for everybody. So they lowered the gear, which means they put down some of the anchors so it would drag a little, maybe slow the ship down a little bit so it won't go so far out and maybe get caught up in that graveyard of ships. And they took the sail down so it wouldn't get shredded. And the final two things they did in an attempt to save the ship is they threw over the cargo and they threw over the equipment. So they were lightening the load. They were afraid. They were really desperate here. And meanwhile, they were storm to- violently storm-tossed. I don't know. I would have been... Nine shades of green happened in there and couldn't keep anything down in my stomach and it would and, and filled with fear. Everyone but Paul, probably. All right, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small temptest. What does that mean? This is when Luke likes to do that to us. No small, which means it was really, really big, probably. A violent storm laid on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. That's hopelessness. It was too cloudy. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun. They couldn't navigate. They were just tossed in this um, boat that was just strapped together. And they gave up all signs, all hope was abandoned. So, you getting a picture here? It helps look at the map, doesn't it? It's pretty, pretty severe happening here. Pretty severe. Sometimes it feels like our lives sometimes where we just kind of give up on everything and say, I, you know what? I'm just, I have to give up. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do. My hope is only in God. All right. 21. Paul is the only probably hopeful person on this boat. Since they had been without food for a long time, and again, I do not think that this group was fasting and praying. I think that they just couldn't stand up to cook or, or felt like eating or just were so seasick that Paul stood up among them and said, Men, interesting. It's almost like, hey, 
slap her on the face. Hey, men, men, we're men. You should have listened to me. Now, this is one of Paul's, I told you so moments, but it's not in that mindset. We know Paul. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that to remind them that I had suggested and urged you way back not to do this. Now are you going to listen to me? He is, in a way, he's doing it to build credibility here. You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Okay, that's encouraging. They're going to lose the ship but they're not going to lose their lives. Had they listened to him in the first place, they wouldn't have lost the ship. So he's encouraging them. Were they thinking wishful thinking that he's having? Was there any comfort in what he was saying? Well, certainly he had more credibility than just for somehow I think we'll get there um, in their thinking. Paul's desire wasn't to one-up them or brag or anything like that. It was a desire to still hope in God with the crew. I'm trusting God, and God said this, and I want you to have that same hope. And then he tells them, to reinforce what he's saying, he tells them of a divine revelation that he had had in verse 23. For this very night... There stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. Did you think about, was it in a dream? Could he sleep during this? I wonder what happened with that. Was it a vision like that or came in a dream? I don't know if too many people slept on this voyage. But he has this angel of God to whom I belong. He's telling them that he belongs to God. And what does angel mean? Messenger of God. God sent his messenger angel to whom I belong and whom I serve. And he said, do not be afraid. That's a commandment. Don't be afraid. It's not a suggestion. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, a second time, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Okay, good news and bad news in there, right? Good news is we're going to live. Bad news is we're going to shipwreck. So the messenger from God, the angel, just God just comes in in this moment. Paul, you belong to me. I am with you. You are under my watchful eye all the time. And God had confidence in this word. And with this confidence, that gave him a leadership in the, on this boat to get them through the storm. Because he was the only one that was probably rational at that time. Because when people are filled with so much fear and anxiety, they can't think. Remember, blood's not going to the brain. Blood's going to this fight or flight or panic mode or freeze mode. But when you're calm, you can think clearly. So he was in the leadership role of this boat now, and God answers his prayer. I think Paul was probably not just praying for him, but praying for everyone on that, all those people on that ship. We know that he loves people. John MacArthur says this about this story. Unbelievers have no idea how much they owe in the mercy of God 
to the presence of righteous people among them. Unbelievers get blessed just by hanging out with us, and they are clueless about it. Okay, they're going to be shipwrecked on some unknown island, but God will save them. Do not be afraid. Take heart two times. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. That's a fulfilled promise. How many, fulfilled, how many promises are in this book for us? I don't know the number, but there's a lot of promises. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Um, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I do, I'm going to come back and get you so you can be where I am. You know, I'll never leave you wanting a food. I mean, it's just promise after promise after promise um, that God said, just like he told Paul, it will be as God says. All right, verse 27. When the 14th night had come, Two weeks they've been in this condition. Two weeks. I mean, the the deck of that ship must have been fuel, filled with puke. I mean, it it was not a slipping and sliding on that. It was just, or maybe the seawater washed it off. It was. They were miserable. Two weeks. And as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, which is not the one we think, across, across the central Mediterranean Sea in your picture, as they were being blown down there, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Okay, you can't see the stars. You don't know what's going on. It's overcast. How did they know that they were getting near some land? Now, these are professional sailors. They probably heard the breakers, you know, when the water's hitting the rocks and the shoreline, it's going to have a different noise than if it's just white caps out there in the sea. So they were suspicious about this, thinking that they were closer to land. They weren't sure. They only suspected it. And so in verse 28, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms, which is you just get a rope and weight on it and you drop it down. You know how long you're your rope is, I still don't know how they did that, and how these men pulled it up. Sailors must have been pretty fit to have a rope, a weight to go all the way down, hit the bottom, measure it, and then a little further on, they're going to drop it again to see how long the, the rope is down there, taking a sounding. And they were found they were t- 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took another one, and again, they found they were 15. So the water was getting shallower, verse 29, and fearing, new fear now, New fear that they might run on the rocks. They let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Ah, they're starting to pray now. (laughs) Prayed for day to come. So they put down the anchors. Why did they do that? They put down the anchors in the back so that the ship would be able to keep its nose, the bow of the boat, headed towards shore so it wouldn't come in and slam in sideways. So they put the weight in the back of it, hoping that it would just go right into land. Verse 31, and Paul said, oh wait, verse 30. And some of the sailors were like in the back of the boat saying, okay, yeah, we'll go and we'll throw out the anchors. They're back there. And under the pretense of putting out the little boat or whatever, or putting down the anchors, they decided that they would put the little skiff in the water and maybe bail ship. Okay, these guys were scared. These are sailors and they're scared. 
Well, Paul knows they're doing this, gets wind of the fact that they're doing this. Um, And he says to Julius and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers went back there and cut away the ropes on the little skiff and let it go. Okay? So the soldiers at this point were beginning to trust in Paul. The sailors were a little bit iffy, what's going on here. They can't see what's happening, okay? Um, They did this when it was dark, but they're praying for daylight. I love this. They're praying for daylight, and God answers their prayer. 33, as day was about to dawn, okay, the daylight was coming. As day was about to dawn, Paul was urging them. Another reason why he wanted them to stay on the ship, these sailors, because he knew that the crew and the passengers would need help with these sailors to be able to navigate what they're about to do. So they needed to stay together. They needed to stay together with this. Um, And the soldiers, at this point, knew they needed to listen to Paul. Okay? So God is taking care of them. Um, I wrote down on my little thing, you know, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. And then I scratched it out and I said, you know what? That's not true. God is taking care of us. God is taking care of us. Not he will take care of us. You know, all the time I have to catch myself, it'll be okay. No, it is okay. It is okay. It's okay right now. It's not like we have to wait for it to be okay. We have to wait for God to take care of us. God is taking care of them right now, isn't he? Okay? And we have to believe that. We have to believe he's taking care of us. All right, in verse 33, let's wind this down here. Day was about to dawn. Paul urged them to take some food. It's been 14 days. You haven't eaten in a while. Um... You know, you've been without food, taking nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength. Not a hair is to perish from your head of any of you. And when he has said these things, this is an interesting little phraseology here that Luke puts in here. He puts in here, he, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat it. It's got some hints of the Lord's Supper in that, doesn't it? little bit of hints of it. They weren't celebrating the Lord's Supper, but in the Lord's Supper, when we're all together with believers, because we're not supposed to take it with non-believers, it's a reminder, this doing remembrance of me, it's a reminder of what Christ did on the cross, but more so than that, or in addition to that, it's a reminder that we will again in the future eat with him again. There's that hope that he's not going to eat this, eat this bread or drink this cup until I see you again. There's that hope, and then we ingest it. And it's the symbolic meaning that God is with us. God's spirit indwells us. We take down the food and the drink because it, we internalize it, and it just you know, becomes nourishment for our bodies. God's spirit does that for us. So Paul is here, again, a a symbolism of God. God is with us, okay? 
and the crew, they were all encouraged and they ate some food. Why? Because they saw Paul was pretty calm. You know, fear is contagious, but I think calmness is, is contagious also. It can be with somebody that just kind of, we're just going to chill here. Just chill. Just calm down. We do that with animals all the time. If those of you are familiar with animals, just calm down. It's okay. Little kids. God's got this. It's good, right? Isn't that calming? Am I calming you down, Joyce, right now? Because it's a pretty rocky ride that they're on. So here they are. They're encouraged. 276 people are in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. They threw everything out. They threw out their precious cargo, went out to sea. Okay. So they threw it all off. The last realms of survival here. And the ship runs aground. And it gets its nose stuck in there. And um, just as they had planned, all right, it ran ashore. But it was being battered and battered and battered from the back, you know, and everything like that, just busting apart back there. Um, They took off the ropes and let the rudders go, and they hoisted off the sail, and they did all this kind of stuff. They struck the reef in the bow, stuck in, and it was immovable, but it was being battered from the back. At this point, the soldiers are thinking, oh, my gosh, all these prisoners are going to (laughs) escape. You... (laughs) They just escaped this horrible storm at sea, and now they're going to kill these guys? I mean, that's just kind of a mean thing to do. But Julius wanted to preserve Paul, and so he stopped that from happening, um, and no loss would be, no life would be lost. And that's what God said. If they had killed the prisoners, you know, that wouldn't have, God's word wouldn't have come true, right? It was fulfilled the way Paul was, it was told to him that no life would be lost. God's word never fails. It never fails. All right. So they get up there. They're told to jump overboard and make for land. And the rest of the planks, you know, to swim in or float in or whatever they needed to do. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Well, I don't think you could sell tickets for this little voyage. It's pretty rough, wasn't it? It's a little bit of a reminder of as we go through life, it can be like that. But God has promised us as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of the family of God, that he will get us safely to heaven. That he is preparing a place for us and he has a work for us to do. And he's not going to take us home until that work is complete and he'll get us there safely. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us, isn't he? He's going to get us safely to Jordan's shore, and we don't have to worry about it. Fear is a, is a um, tactic of Satan to use to throw us off, to use so we're not trusting God. Paul, was be, he trusted God. What God was saying to him, he knew God and he trusted God. He belonged to God. He was in the Lord's service. God has a plan for him. He was trusting God in all circumstances. And because of his faith, I wore my faith shirt today, because of his faith that he had, and because he knew God, he was able to encourage others. If you really don't believe yourself, it's, it's kind of hard to make somebody else believe in something you don't truly believe in. But if you really believe, you can make it happen. 
So God's taking care of us. We are to believe God. I'm going to close you with this. Because today is 414. Remember I talked about Esther 414? Um, it, um, Mordecai was telling Esther that if you keep silent at this time, you know, salvation from the Jews will come from someplace else. Now is not the time to keep silent, Esther. And you were here put in this kingdom for such a time as this. We're all here in 2022. I don't know if there'll be a 2023 or 2024. I don't know. But for right now, we're here for such a time as this. And if we keep silent about the hope that we have in Christ in a world that's fallen apart out there, you know, we miss the blessing of being able to be a light for him. Now is the time to speak out. Romans 10, 14 says... How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? How are they to, be, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it goes on, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that comes from Isaiah 52, 7. So I want you all to look at your feet and I want you to realize how beautiful they are because you hold the promise, you hold the knowledge of the hope of God. We are confident in trusting God in these times and we are the people who others will see something different about us because we're not freaking out. And they will come to us and they will ask. And we can't blow it and not tell them why we are the way we are. God, help us to to not be shy. Help us to have a boldness to live for you, to be a light for you. Because that's the only answer. You're the only answer, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.